I don't take this lightly. We we speak into people's life. We're going to give them an account to God for everything what we say and do, and um, this is no different. And we uh, believe and, and and respect your time. And uh, we thank you for those who are on Facebook or on YouTube. Welcome to this Monday night to hear what the Spirit of Grace has to say for us. Amen. So it's exciting times. Um, I've got a message tonight that I'd like to share, spoken my heart. It's the revelation I'm getting out of this story. It's crazy, but um started off with one thing and God just opened it up. But just want to share tonight about, and our heading is don't despise small beginnings or don't despise small things. And it comes out of the book of Zechariah. Um, and we're going to read this shortly, Zechariah 4. But I want to give you a bit of a backdrop. And um, for the probably the past 12 months, God's been really impressing on my heart to, to share uh, stories and, and probably longer than 12 months, but sharing stories from the Old Testament that reveals Christ in the New Testament. So comparisons, you know, um, shadows and types. And um, God, always spent, God always sent the natural so he could show us the spiritual. We know that the earthly tabernacle is a replica of a heavenly tabernacle. We know that um, you know the, the things that came before Christ in in the in the in the in the Old Testament, and we, we can go through the whole Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. The Old Testament conceals, and the New Testament reveals. And I know you hear it every week. I say it every week, but. The Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals, just to make sure you, you heard it again. But it's an exciting thing because when we understand what God's doing on this earth today, and the good thing about it, the Bible says that do not be ignorant of the devil's wiles or the devices or the systems or the strategies of the devil. And if you ever look back through the Old Testament, you can see the pattern in the Old Testament. You see the pattern of grace. You see the pattern of the blood of Jesus. You see the pattern of the sacrifice. You see the pattern of the prophets, the priesthood, the kings. It's all a pattern. And Jesus fulfilled all those patterns. You also see the enemy at work. You see the enemy has not, the enemy is not a creator. He just does the same thing repeatedly. You see history repeats itself. The devil, the devil's greatest tactic is to pretend that he doesn't exist. You know, you don't see a lot about the devil in the Old Testament. Really, you don't. You don't. See him mentioned only a few times where, you know, in, in Genesis he appears and then, you know, in Job he's an accuser and then you know, uh, in Revelations you hear and there's a few times, and even in Zechariah he appears he's a, as an accuser of the brethren because in, in, in the Old Testament he was like laying low and getting everyone to do his dirty work. But when Jesus appeared on the scene, he flushed him out. And we could talk about that and, and there's the five judgments of the devil when he was thrown out of heaven when he was thrown out of the garden, when Jesus defeated him on the cross, when Jesus throws him in the pit in the last millennium reign, and the final judgment is when the, the prophet, the false prophet, the fallen angels of the devil and hell itself will be thrown in the lake of fire. And you see a lot of the patterns, and I love seeing the patterns because although you might see it in a certain way, you know, it's funny. The, you know, you can look at certain things. It depends where you're at with God is to see how, well, you, you've heard the saying, how do you see a half glass of water? Is it half full or half empty? You know, how do you perceive it? Jesus even used that analogy to the scribe. How do you perceive it? What does the law say to the scribe? How do you read it? From what perspective? From what eyes? From what vision did you see it? And, um, you know, there was a story about uh, a, a, a family who, a, a young man, and had a car accident, and he was really badly injured. And the car accident, and the family show up to the hospital, um, and half the family show up before the other half showed up. It was different, many brothers and many sisters. And the doctor went on to tell the family that uh, he's very badly injured and he's in a coma. Um, he should have died, but he's, he's even lucky to be alive. And, you know, um, our brother said, Oh my God, that's terrible. How could this happen? Where's God? But when the other brother showed up and they told him the same story, he goes, Praise God. 
And the, the other brother said, how can you say praise God? Your brother nearly died. He goes, but that's what I'm praising God for because he didn't die. And you got two people looking at two different things. An accident happened and one's basically saying God wasn't there to protect him. And the other brother says, praise God, he's still alive. And, and that probably leads me into what I'm about to say in respects to don't despise small beginnings. You know, a beginning of something is very tough. You start beginning school, begin a new job, begin a new business, begin a new relationship, begin a new um, uh, anything to do with a startup is tough. Uh, beginning a new career, um, even we have many beginnings. You know, I heard this great analogy where when we count from one to ten, and then when we get to ten, you got to start again. You might be at a higher level. You go from eleven to twenty, then you got to start again. 21 to 30, then start again, 31 to 40. You just keep going up a level, but you're always starting something new. There's seasons and times and small beginnings and small things can be tough, especially if you've come out of a dark place, if you've come out of a bad relationship or you've come out of a broken uh, family or you've come out of the world and come out of sin. And we look at the beginning and we think this is hard. But God understands that he's the, the Bible says he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God sees the beginning and he sees the end. A lot of the times God speaks, it's a done deal. God speaks, by his stripes you are healed. He says, you are healed. Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. The Bible says, Paul says to the Corinthians, you are children of light. You came from darkness into light. But, you know, people were messed up. People were still sick. People were still dying. But Jesus sees the beginning from the end. We also, God is, is ultimate goal. I mean, you look at the Ten Commandments. Who can keep them? But this is God's standard. He didn't reduce his standard because you can't keep it. And we can look at that analogy that, but what I want to get across to you tonight, and I pray that do not despise small beginnings. Do not. Do not reject what God's doing in the beginning of your walk and not just the beginning of your walk. I mean, we're going to learn here that it's not just about when you started. It's about every small detail of your life. God's interested in those small details. And the word despise just means to reject or to loathe or to scorn or to or to be disgusted. You know, it's like no one likes to, the, the Bible says, don't despise the, the chastening of the Lord. And one of the greatest things I've seen in, in my walk is that when you start off and if there are any small, small victories, and I often say, people, you may not be where you're at, but rejoice in the victories that you've got already. Rejoice in the fact that God's written your name. You may not be where you're at. You might be struggling. You might be going through hell. You might, but listen, don't despise those small beginnings because what God started, he will accomplish. Amen. And, you know, it's funny when people say, oh, I want to be this and I want to do that and I don't know what to do. And, and they're on this little journey and well, I, know I was there, trust me, you know, what God put in my heart to do for the kingdom, I wanted to have it done that week. <laughs> and, if, uh, and I had to get it done that week and Jesus was coming back and he was going to, and, and that week he was going to come back and we had to get it all sorted. And, and then you think, oh, but I'm not where I want to be. But listen, no one is. Amen. Don't despise more beginnings. Um, you have a look at that plant behind me. And um, that started with a small seed. The Bible says that the word of God is a seed. We have seed time and harvest time. See, the image of a seed, inside a seed there's an image in there. The image is of the tree that you're planting. You know, you can look at the, some of the biggest gum trees. It all started with a seed. You can look at a pine tree or apple tree or um, cucumbers or tomato. It all starts with seed. If we despise that seed, say, look, nothing's going to come of this seed and I'll throw it away, I'll never see the harvest. But when I plant that seed and I water that seed, I don't despise that small beginning, then it will come to fruition, amen? And we're going to read Zechariah chapter 4. And we'll read that whole chapter and we'll go through it. But I want to give you a bit of a backdrop as you're going there. Again, God's been impressing on my heart 
to um to go back to the Old Testament and it's easy for me to go back to certain stories that I'm familiar with, but God's been sharing with me to go back to stories and I've just been I've been so blessed, eh? And can I be can I make a confession? The Bible says confess your sins to one another. <laughs> that sometimes I'm reading this and I'm sharing with this and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to teach me as I'm teaching you. And I'm not trying to be a hero or be honestly the Holy Ghost has been impressing on my heart because when I when I when I when I'm looking at this and I'm I've got to see Jesus in it. See, for me, if I can't see Jesus in it, it's not worth reading. It's not worth studying. It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be about the Lord, about the kingdom. It's got to be about the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost. And as I was reading this, it was blessing me so much. And and um, I've heard sermons on don't despise small beginnings, but God impressed this on my heart last week. And um, so I started to to search this out. And um, I'm not a real big theology uh, into theology or into history, but it's always good to get a bit of a backdrop as to what's happening here. So you're going to understand that Zechariah here is a prophet of God. And Zechariah in this time is has a vision. And, and it's not a big book, but he's called a minor prophet. And Haggai, Haggai was similar. They overlapped each other. And when you read a lot of the books of the Old Testament, some especially with the prophets, some are very direct. You just know black and white, that's what they're saying. Some are picture formed. Some you have to really work it out. Some talk in riddles, some talking in, and they, they actually acted out. So some prophets have to act like, remember Hosea and Gomez? He literally lived out the prophetic word that God was giving him by marrying a prostitute and then going buying her back from, from that industry. So he was different types. You had, the, you know, Elijah who was, mate, preached to the kings and, 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 and the hierarchy. Um, black and white, like John the Baptist, no, no mucking around. This is the word of the Lord. Take it or leave it. And you had Elisha, who was more of the common people's man and he had a different personality. But Zechariah gets his vision. It's about rebuilding the temple. And you've got to understand, at this time, Israel had been in cap- captivity for 80 years. So that they had no temple. It was in ruins. And the Babylonians had destroyed them. And they have been in captivity and so he comes, they're, they're, God's restoring the, the, the Israeli people. Uh, God's in the chapter before, chapter 4, he anoints Joshua, not Joshua from uh, the time of Moses, another Joshua, as a priest. And that's when the enemy accuses him and says he's got filthy rags. And in other words, he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a sinner. And God says, no, he's not. And he changes his, his robe and he dresses him with the robe of righteousness and it says, and and um, he anoints him. And he's one of the first types of prophet priests. Uh, Joshua was a prophet, but God ordained him as a priest in the priesthood. He also ordained um, Zerubbabel as a Zerubbabel, sorry, as a as a, a leader in the kingly anointing. You've got to understand the Old Testament had kings and priests and prophets. Just to go back one step, Israel, if you have a look at Israel, it's amazing. And this blessed me today because God showed this to me today in what Jesus fulfilled. From the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were patriarchs. Patriarchs meaning they're like the fathers of the faith in that sense. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob became Israel, and Israel had 12 sons, and they had the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, and every leader or patriarch run the tribe, and they answered to and you look at Moses. And that. So you have a look at our father figures or patriarchs, our forefathers, they would call them. But then it came a time where the judges were ruling the land and the prophets came. So, the, so about 500 years where the patriarchs ruled Israel. And then there was about 500 years, roughly 500 years, where the prophets were ruling Israel and getting direction of the Lord. Then they were turned into, they wanted a king in the time of Saul. So kings were appointed. And then it came to now with Zechariah, and from Zechariah all the way from now, when they rebuild this temple, the prophets don't speak up until John the Baptist, close to 430 years or something. So you had the, the patriarchs, the forefathers, then you had the prophets, then you had the, um, the, um, the kings, the rulers, and then you come to the priesthood. And here God's ordaining 
Joshua in the, in the previous chapter as a priest, a high priest to rule over the temple, but he was a prophet as well. So it was a very unique situation. And also he anointed um, a ruler over the city, a civil leader, a politician, if you like, but in the kingly anointing named Zerubbabel. And the two would run this whole show. But there was an issue. They had started to rebuild the temple. It was in ruins and they had laid a foundation. And it was about 20 years. And we'll pick it up from verse 1 and we'll see what the Lord showed uh, Zechariah. And let's get into this and we'll show you Jesus in this. We'll show you what he's building. So you've got to remember, I heard the girls talking before we started and talking about, you know, leading people to the Lord and bringing people into the kingdom and building the kingdom. See, that's that's a prophetic what I'm preaching tonight. See, it's about building the kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Can I tell you this? We get to participate in the building of the kingdom, spreading the kingdom. True? See, God doesn't need us to build it. God's going to get it done whether we're in it or not, whether we participate or not, whether we conform to the Lord or not, whether we do our job or not, God's going to get it done. But God doesn't need us. God wants us. God wants us to participate in what he's doing on this earth, building the body of Christ, building the kingdom of God. This is the true meaning. Yes, we are to to, to edify ourselves. We are to walk with the Lord in a personal relationship. We are to get some things sorted out in our, our life. We need to build ourselves up in our families. But ultimately, it's all for the kingdom. Not for us. Ultimately for him. So I had this debate with this guy once. He says, the kingdom of God gives me prosperity, gives me healing, gives me all these different things. And I said, yeah, it does. They're the benefits of the kingdom. But can I tell you something? Because Jesus didn't die on the cross to give me a new car. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give me a new house. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give me health. Jesus died on the cross for me to fill the love of the Father, to restore man back to the Father, to redeem us back to our rightful place. And out of that, I get prosperity. Out of that, I get healing. Out of that, I get sonship. Out of that, I get all the benefits of the kingdom. Don't put the horse behind the car. All right? The kingdom of God wasn't for you and me to satisfy our, our physical flesh and to maintain our material blessings and to and to have us a, a nice life without we getting that's not the kingdom that's the false gospel that's the gospel of the flesh do I want to be prosperous do I want to be blessed absolutely they're all part of the kingdom but don't ever get it wrong that Jesus didn't come so you can be sit on the top of a hill and say hallelujah look at me no no he died to rebuild the kingdom he died to restore us back to our rightful place and out of that comes the benefits of the kingdom but I want to ask you a question. Would you serve the God right now, right here, right now? Ask yourself this question. Would you still serve him if you knew there was no benefit? Would you still go into all the world and preach the gospel knowing that he won't give you nothing for it? Would you know that while you're sick, would you still preach healing when you're going through a battle? Would you still preach joy when you have no joy? Would you still give when you got no money? See, these are the principles of the kingdom. It's not what I can get. It's what he's given me already. I live out of that place of victory. Amen? And we're here to build the kingdom. So I want to share this with you because once I start to take my eyes off the kingdom and it's about me, so what can the kingdom give me? What is the benefit I can get? Like, what is my benefit, Lord? Seriously, like, what's my benefit? Would you go here? I wonder if Paul ever said that. I wonder if Paul said, you know what, Lord, I've been beaten five times. I've been shipwrecked. I've been bashed nearly to die. I've been stoned. I've been whipped. I've been jailed. What's my be- Where's my share of this? Do you ever think Paul would have said that? Or when Paul says, I'm an ambassador of Christ even in chains. He was so dead to himself that it wasn't about what he could get. And I reckon he got plenty. I reckon God sustained him because he said, I'm, whether I have a lack or whether I have an abundance, I'm content. And that place of contentment, but anyway, that I digress. I'm just, but that place of contentment, the understanding that God is your provider. God asked the question by this businessman, the Christian businessman. 
Christian guy, lovely guy, love the Lord. God bless this guy. He had an anointing to make money and he was very generous. And he said to me once, he said, Tony, what are you, what's your definition of prosperity? What is it? And you can summarize prosperity in many different ways. But he, uh, he was referring to finances. And I said, well, my personal revelation is this. A truly prosperous man or woman, truly, can believe God for something. Let's say, oh, let's put a number on it. Let's say I could believe God for a million dollars or a billion dollars. And God gives me the billion dollars. That doesn't make me prosperous. A true prosperous man or woman can believe God for anything, a billion dollars, for example. And the minute I get it, I rejoice, and then the Lord says, now give it to someone else. Could I release that out of my hands? If I can, I'm truly prosperous. Because the same God that gave me the million dollars or the billion dollars or the hundred dollar is the same God can do it again and again. As that's a true prosperous man. Not that you can believe for it and God gives it to you, but can it go through you? If God can get it to you, can he get it through you? And he looked at me and says, wow. So I'm not saying I'm there. I'm just telling you, that's my revelation. Because if God can get it to us, he can get it through us. Can he get it through us? See, the Bible says, he who loves, uh, he who is forgiven much, loves much. He who has received gives freely. And we can go through all that. Just uh, as a side note. But let's 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 pick this up. Zechariah. I'm going to read this for the New Living Translation because I think it's just easier to understand. And it says this. And the heading says, the lamp stands in the two olive trees. But it says, then an angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me as though I was asleep. So he had a vision. What do you see now, he asked. I answered, this is Zachariah speaking to the Lord's angel, which is really Jesus incarnated. I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Excuse me. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts and wicks. And I see two olive trees and one on each side of the, the bowl. When I, when I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? And the Lord says, don't you know? The angel asked. No, my Lord, I, I replied. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts or the Lord of heaven. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in front of Zerubbabel. I'm going to tongue twist this all night. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone on the temple, in that place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. And another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who would lay the foundation of the temple and will, and will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work began, to see the, the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on each side of this lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour out golden oil through the two golden tubes? Don't you know, he asked. No, my Lord. I replied, he said to me, this represents the two anointed ones who stand in the court of the Lord of the, of the earth all day. And as you can see, he is, he's talking about to Zechariah, go and tell Zerubbabel, this is what's going to happen. you got to remember, they started to build this temple. It was 20 years and not much was happening. So the Lord wanted this to, be, to, to, to happen. See, sometimes it's tiring to build the kingdom. And when he says don't despise small beginnings or small things, when you start and you don't see things happening, don't despise those days. Don't think, oh, I'm not doing enough or that. You have to understand something, that the enemy wants you to be disheartened and just throw it all away. You can't see what's happening. You can't see the benefits. You can't see the kingdom being built. You can't see the build, the kingdom of God being built in your own life. And then you start to despise it. And the Lord's warning them, saying, don't do that. What the Lord will start, he will complete. And it's interesting here, he says to him, that 
Zerubbabel had a plumb line. If you don't know what a plumb line is, we call it a plumb bob in Australia or a line. And what it is, it's a string. And on the end of the string is a weight. It's usually a, like a, a, a pointed weight. And gravity would let you, you drop it down to the ground and it would give you a dead straight line. In other words, God is, is giving a standard in perfection of what he required from Zerubbabel. He was saying that plumb line is to build a temple according to my design. Hear me out. According to my design. I gave him that plumb line. What's he saying? When we build the kingdom of God, it's going to be built God's way. Jesus said, I will build my church. We just partake or we co-labor with Christ. Amen. And unfortunately, what we have built sometimes in the past is not the kingdom of God. It's not the church of Jesus Christ. It's man's church. When we start to pervert the word of God, when we start to water down the word of God, when the plumb line starts to shake, when that line, that level where the foundations are laid. Remember Paul said, I lay a foundation which is Christ. And be careful how you lay. For any man lays another foundation can be accursed. Paul says, if an angel from heaven comes out of, out of the sky and says, preaches a different gospel than we have preached, let him be accursed. It's a very serious matter here. And why? when we think things aren't happening, God says, don't despise those days. Don't despise the work that God's doing in your heart right now. Don't think that you've been told that and you've been prophesied and you've been lied to that while you come into the kingdom, you'll, have, you'll get this, 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 this. And you can't see that right now or, 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 or what you perceive that God was going to do for your life or your family or, or your career or your, your ministry. And we despise those days. And we turn around because the enemy wants us to despise it because the enemy knows if he could, why is it so important that the enemy destroys you and, and um, the enemy tries to and, and snuff you out? Show. Remember the parable of the sower? He throws seed and enemy comes quickly. The fowls of the year come and steal it. Why? He knows that if that seed takes root and, and sprouts out, he can't control you anymore. He knew. When Moses was born, kill all the kids. Get them all early. All the small beginnings, get them now. I don't know when the Messiah is going to come. Kill them all. When Jesus was born, Herod, kill all the first, all babies under two years old. Why? What did Jesus say? Suffer not the children, let the children come unto me. What did he say? Out of the mouth of babes, my word will be established. Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to sin or be offend one of these little ones, May you tie a millstone or a sandstone, basically, around your neck and be thrown in the river. That's how serious Jesus takes it. And yet, here he says, don't despise those small beginnings. Don't despise what you're doing building the kingdom. Don't turn away now. Don't give up now. Don't, don't reject it. Don't keep on course. I want to go back to one thing here. In my notes I've got here, it's interesting when I said earlier, that Israel was run by patriarchs, the father. Judges came in after that, which is the prophets. Kings, which are the rulers, and priests, which make intercession. And we know that by the time Jesus came, there was no king. There was no prophets other than John. There was just the priesthood. He had Caiaphas and a, and a few others that were running the, the temple. And it's interesting that if you have a look at this, in this time when they were rebuilding the temple to restore the kingdom of God on earth, guess what happened? You had a king and a, and a priest working together who was also a prophet. Jesus is the king, the priest, and the prophet that fulfilled all that when he, when he came. And I will show you that in a second. We have to ask yourself a question here. Um, he says, it's not by power nor by might. Let's, let's go to verse, we're going back to verse 6. But I'm going to go back to the King James now for a second. Okay. It's probably one of my favourite scriptures that I've got a revelation of. It says here, he talks to him again, the vision. He says, what do you see? I don't know, Lord. He says, the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel and he said, not my might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Why well, you just stop right there? Not by might nor by power. 
Now he's referring to rebuilding the kingdom here. And the Holy God is telling him, you ain't going to build it by the might of the armies. You're not going to build it by the might of the people. Might represents the armies of God, the, the structure of God on the earth. And power represents the government of God. And he's saying, you're not going to build it by how big an army you got or workmen you got. And you're not going to build it by political gain or money. You're going to build it by my spirit. How true is that today for the kingdom of God today? I can't do this. We don't have enough money. Or we should have the government back in us. Or we can do this and we can do that. The biggest problem in the church today is the government. They've got into the church world. They've given them all these benefits. And now they control them. And then they can't do nothing without them. And he says, not my might, nor my power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's God's might and God's power. And it says in verse 7, and who are you, great mountain, or what mountain is going to stop you? It'll be made a, a, a level playing plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with sprouts of grace to it. Grace. He shouts out grace. Isn't a beautiful picture of this? We can go back to the beginning here. We can go back to the uh, lampstands, the two trees that give oil from the oil tree. We can come down here to, it's not by might, nor by my spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit. It says here, he will lay the capstone and then they will shout grace, grace to it. You know what that means? When they used to build these gables and, and build the, the temple and the last bit of the, the, the temple was the gable up the top and the gable is a triangle and the capstone was a very heavy piece of stone and he used to put it on top and it would sit like that and that was the completion. Well, can I ask you a question? Who is the cornerstone and the capstone? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the, the cornerstone. He was the corner. He's the stone the builders rejected, became the capstone. Here it says that Zerubbabel would get up there, carry it, and that's very heavy. So he had many people have to hold it. But by the Holy Ghost, by the power of God, by the supernatural power of God, he got up there and he put the capstone on. And that says, when you see that, you'll know that God is with me. And it says the Lord of hosts, or it says the heaven's armies, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. When Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says the stones that the stone that builders rejected became the capstone. Who was the who was the builders at the time? It was Israel. They had the keys to the kingdom. They had the law and the prophets, and they were building incorrectly. They had become selfish. They had become religious. They had become corrupt. He, Jesus calls them the, the children of the devil. Your father, you are of your father, the devil. And here in, in, in this time, guys, this is a physical temple, guys. Don't misunderstand me. This was a real physical temple built by hands, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And look what it says here. He says, he, when he put the capstone, they all said, yes, this is of God. Jesus went to the cross. The Bible says it was a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. But when he died and rose again, guess what? He became our capstone. He became our covering and the temple was complete. How was it complete? We know that on the cross of Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, he said to them, I'll knock this temple down and rebuild it in three days. They go, you're mad. I go, it took us 45 years to build this temple. He wasn't, And Jesus wasn't referring to an earthly temple. He was referring to his body, that he'll die and rise again on the third day and that he'll be the temple of the Holy Spirit and that would be released out of a man-made temple and in the hearts of men and we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Talks about the two olive trees. Two olive trees. Speaks of the two anointings of Joshua and Zerubbabel. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that we go through the Bible, we can see double portion. We can see Elijah and Elisha. We can see see uh, Abraham and Lot. You can see uh, Paul and Silas. You can see Peter and John. You can see on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. You can see in Revelations, the two witnesses who are described as 
two trees speaking in the last days, double portion. Jesus sent them out two by two, double portion. You can see and this whole picture talks about the, the laying of the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. What does it say in Philippians? It says the work he started, he will complete. He said, I will complete it. Even though things are going slow, I will complete it. And we're going to understand now, we're going to see the hand of the Lord in this. Right now, people are crying that the churches are closed and they're opening now. And we're saying they shut the churches down and it's wrong and they shouldn't have shut us down. But can I tell you something? That building, any building is not the church. We kept building the kingdom of God. We kept building one another. We are the church. We are the church, not made by human hands. For Jesus said, the Paul said, the Holy Spirit will never, God's Spirit will never dwell in man-made temples again. And the enemy wants us to fight a fight that's not ours. But we need to understand that God's building his kingdom, building his temple. He's building us. See, we get built on the inside. We edify ourselves. We get placed in it so God can have a relationship with God and we can stay in God's presence. For what reason, guys? To build his kingdom. What are you sowing? What are you building? If someone comes to you right now, what do they hear? What comes out of your mouth right now? Are you sowing in fear? Are you sowing in lack of joy? What are you sowing in? What 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 is it? What small beginnings are you conforming to the pattern of this world? Are you walking by sight and not by faith? Are you are you building on a foundation that's faulty or are you building on the true foundation? Because you can build on a right foundation but put the wrong bricks in there. You can build out of straw, hay, stubble, which means sticks, or you can build out of gold, silver, and precious stone. What is your testimony? What is coming out of your heart and out of your mouth when the pressure's on? Are people getting are people gravitating to the kingdom of God? Now, don't get me wrong. Someone asked me the other day, aren't you scared about anything right now? I said, no, not one thing. Am I concerned? Am I uh, uh, doing it tough in certain areas? Am I, I've got some issues? Absolutely, but I'm not scared. Aren't you worried? about catching this or losing that or not getting paid there or this, not one bit. Are you, no, am I concerned? Am I putting things into place? Am I asking God for directions? Absolutely. We'll never ar arrogant enough to say, I don't have concerns. That's, that's just rubbish. But am I scared? Have I got fear? Not one bit. What if, don't care about your what if. I'm not interested in your what if. I'm not interested in the devil's what if. Whether they give me my freedom back, whether I'm allowed to go here, doesn't bother me. I'm free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I just want to encourage you guys, whether you call it an encouragement or you call it whatever you want to call it. This is just the beginning, guys. They're planning something different tomorrow. We're living in the last days. And we have to get direction from the Lord. But I'm going to keep building the kingdom. I'm not going to stop and waver because of a situation or a circumstance. And when I get in front of someone, even though I might have some anxieties or some tribulations in my life, what's going to come out of my mouth is the kingdom. I'm going to sow hope. I'm going to sow joy. I'm going to sow faith. I'm going to sow prosperity. I'm going to sow love. I'm going to sow family. I'm going to sow Jesus, and I'm not going to despise small beginnings. And you know what? Change that. I'm not going to despise small things. I've learned one thing in my Christian walk. I will rejoice in the smallest things. Can I say something to you? When I was young, when I was young in the Lord and I had young children, we'd play a game. We'd go to a shopping center, and we'd look for parking. And I'd say, all right, guys, who's going to pray to get us parking? And the boys would pray, oh, I'm not going to pray, whatever. But they normally say, let's pray here. Jesus, give us a parking spot and we'd get one. And someone would say to me, oh, that's just coincidence. I go, so what? 
I don't despise small beginnings. I don't despise the small things in life. You know, it's two different types of people. Can I can I share this with you? You have someone like Simon the Sorcerer in the Acts, and he saw the power of God. And what he wanted to do, he wanted to buy it. He saw it, he knew it was real, and he wanted to buy it. And Peter, what did Peter say? <laughs> Curse you and your money and pray to God that whatever I've cursed you, it doesn't come to pass. See, this is a guy that wants to go from, from the ground to the top and he thinks he can buy it. See, God's interested in the beginning and the end, but guess who helps us in the middle? The Holy Ghost, the Word of God. That's why he says, not by power nor by might, but it's by his spirit. And if you look at this prophetic word, it's actually back to front. If you go from the bottom to the top, you see, you see the capstone, you see this, but then you see the olive tree. And it's back to front according to the scripture of the gospels because you see Jesus coming, dying on the cross, rising again, giving us the Holy Ghost and giving us power by his spirit. What you see here in the prophetic word of Zechariah is a prophetic picture that what Jesus fulfilled on the cross. And we're in that kingdom today. We're building that temple today. It's an amazing thing. I want to read this to you quickly. It says that the work he started, he says to, he goes, what he starts, he will finish it with his hands. That's Philippians. It says here in Philippians, it says the work God started, he will finish it. He only just, just empower us. See, while I am weak, he is strong. When I understand grace, when he talks about we shout grace, grace, when he puts the capstone on. What is that referring to? When did grace appear in the form of Jesus? When he rose from the dead and gave us the ability to be saved by grace and not by our works. In other words, to the Jewish people, you're not saved by your sacrifices in the temple anymore. You're saved by calling out on the one that gave you grace, Jesus Christ. You go through this whole story. I've got notes after notes. It's so funny. Can I share this with you? When Jesus sees us, he sees the end product. When God speaks about us, but the grace of God, he sees an end product. Remember Peter? By your stripes, you are healed. He sees you in heavenly places. He says, you're a new creation in Christ. No longer you live, but Christ lives in you. But you know, while we're on this earth and while we build the kingdom, the Holy Ghost wants to come with us. Look at this. The two trees represents the two anointed men. Also from an olive tree, what do you get? You get oil, which speaks of an anointing. The anointing, what does the anointing do? I wrote this down. Let me get it for you. Just a few things. I just want to share this. I think someone needs to hear this. When we, we always attribute the Holy Spirit to power. When you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I preached it. I've been preaching it all my life. I want, to, I want to share something with you. Oil. What's symbolic of oil? We know it's the anointing. You get anointed. But oil also brings healing. In those days, oil was used as a medicine to treat. What does the Holy Spirit bring? He brings healing to our restoration to our soul. Oil also burns in a lamp. It brings light. What's the Holy Spirit's job? He's the spirit of truth and he'll guide us into all truth. The Bible says when you speak in the spirit, he, the Holy Spirit prays for you and searches the deep things, even the things in, in your spirit, in your heart. God is light. Oil warms when it's used for fuel and flame. Where the spirit of God is, there is warmth and comfort. Holy Spirit is known as the comforter. The oil invigorates. When you get a massage, he invigorates. He they use it as a as a as a as a, as a tool to get you the blood pumping in your body. The Holy Spirit invigorates us for His service. What's the Bible says that He He ignites us. The oil, Holy Spirit adorns us, and when it's applied like perfume, the Holy Spirit adorns us and makes us more pleasant to be around. In other words, the anointing on you. What's your fragrance to people? Do they come to you? Because there's an attraction on you, with the anointing on your life, or is it they don't come, they run away from you? 
the, the anointing smooths over. The anointing is the type and shadow of, of, of the Holy Spirit come on, on you. We got to understand that the, the anointing coming out of the trees is flowing 24-7. What did the Bible say? Rivers of living water will flow from our belly. And the anointing of God is upon our life. When we understand that it's not my power nor by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I don't care how powerful you are. Who's backing you? How many people in your church? This is what the Lord's speaking to us. He's saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. He will supply the spirit in every way. The same spirit here, not my power, but my spirit is the same spirit that we read in Genesis. And the Red Sea that was pushed back and the life of God in Ezekiel, he goes, can these bones live? And God breathed into these bones. I can go on and on and on. But what God promised he will do and the gates of hell will not prevail. I will build my church. I, I, I have to, I, I have to, Emphasize this. Everyone here, if you call this home, you are part of building the temple of God, the house of God, the kingdom of God. You're part of it. And when we become a living sacrifice, a living epistle, God's doing a work on the inside of us for what reason, guys? So you can sit at home and say, I'm blessed or to what? Pass it on. To go and seek and save the lost to encourage one another, to build up one another. You know, I read the other day, the Bible says, what's the point of doing good for someone who can pay you back? For even the heathens do that. Why love someone that loves you back? Can we love someone that's unlovable? Can we pray for our enemies and love our enemies? Can we not despise small beginnings? You may have shared a word. Oh, I've seen the fruit of the harvest now. I've, I've, I've shared words with people 19 years ago. I've prayed for people, uh, prayed for people, for people to, to, to get a revelation of Christ that's coming to fruition 19 years ago, 18 years ago. I think to myself, I could have derailed that. I could have said, what a waste of time. I could have said words like, they'll never get saved or they'll never come or they're hopeless or this and that. I could have said a lot of things like that. But I understand small beginnings. I understand the small steps. I understand every victory is a promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You remember when uh, Jesus was preaching and they wouldn't accept his word, I think it was Samaria? And John said, let's rain down fire from heaven and burn everyone up here. Kill them all. <laughs> and Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. See, they couldn't see what Jesus was about to do. They couldn't, their, their perception was wrong. You know, the Jews had, a, had a prophecies that the Messiah would come and he'll be mighty and a warrior and he'll have the government on his shoulders and his government will have no end. And here comes Jesus. They said they, they had a picture of a Messiah running on a horse with an army behind him, a host of army. And their interpretation was he was a warlord, a mighty man, ordained by God. He was going to take out Rome and set up the kingdom. Instead, he comes on a donkey, born in a manger. They saw the, the second coming of Christ. They didn't understand he really came to set them free, to build the kingdom of God. And so when he returns, he will return on a horse and his government will have no end. And the, you know what? We're, we're, we're just partaking and participating I'm just so excited to see what the Lord's doing right now. I really am. I, I can honestly tell you um, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hey, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you. You've prayed and nothing's happened. Don't despise that prayer. The Bible says the word of God does not return void. The Bible says that, that whatever he touches, he'll come to accomplish. Can I, can I say it this way? You've got to start walking with your head held high. You've got to start walking that 
I've tried this. It doesn't work. Listen to me. Right here, right now, I pray that God puts godly leaders in. And I pray that godly men and women rise up and, and do it. It's a biblical thing. Don't get me wrong. People say, don't talk about politics. and We're not here to talk about politics. But, you know, when Joseph got saved and put into Pharaoh, where did he do? He became second in charge of the whole country. Yeah, God's interested in politics, guys. We need to pray for our leaders so God can, God, the enemy can get the veil off and God can move the veil and get godly leaders. But trust me, the kingdom of God is not relying on whether our government is good or bad. It's not relying on whether we've got a good army or a bad army or good cops or bad cops or good doctors or bad doctors or good bosses or bad or good givers or no good givers. We're going to, listen, doesn't rely on that. It relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're willing to be yielded to him and meditate on him and to feed on him and to be taught by him, we will bring this to pass. We'll see our nation change, our families change, our the you know, sometimes God allows things to happen so we can get to people that we'll never will get to. But what is your standard? What is your plumb line? I wish I had one. I used to have one. The plumb line, you just tie a rope and you'll find a straight line, straight from the top. What is your plumb line? If someone was to come to you now, do they know what you really stand for? Is it level? Is it straight? Has it swayed? What is it? What is it when they say? See, sometimes the person that will come to you today, maybe the only time they'll ever see Jesus, because the only Jesus they'll see is the Jesus in you. I want to encourage you in this area. And if you're lacking in an area, it's awesome. Go back to the Lord and lay it before the Lord. Come on, man. Someone get excited. We are children of light. And we like when we walk around and we're in darkness. We need to know who our heavenly father is. He hasn't lost control. We need to say to that mountain, you know, he says grace to that capstone, grace to that mountain. Why? Because Jesus has won the victory. And we need to start getting some joy in our hearts again. Because you know what? There'll be many disappointments. There'd be many excuses not to keep going. Many excuses. I can give you 10 right now. Just happens tonight. You can say 10 things that you could have been upset about right now. <laughs> but can I say that you want to encourage you that when he's building his house, when they when 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 Zachariah was given this revelation and this knowledge of don't despise small beginnings and and telling them that this is going to come to pass. No matter what you say and do, it's going to come to pass. Can I say this? This was a physical temple. How much more the spiritual temple that the Holy Ghost is in charge, that the high priest and the prophet and the king in the Old Testament was all come together in Jesus Christ. Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He was a prophet of God. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He came out of the line of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David. He fulfilled all that. He was the sacrifice. The altar was the cross. The Holy Ghost came upon him and he came through him. This You want to talk about the Holy Ghost came to him, on him, through him, and he died. So he can give him to us. Jesus was crucified so we could be multiplied. Hallelujah. The Bible says that you're born again, not by corruptible seed, by incorruptible seed by the word of God. A little seed again. Here we go. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to bless you tonight. That the work God started, he will complete. The gold lampstands, there were seven of them. Seven represents who? Jesus, the menorah in the temple, see the, the arched candlesticks. The middle one gets fed oil. And out of the middle, feeds all the rest. And there's a wick made out of gold. Gold speaks of divinity. Christ was divine. The oil speaks of the Holy Ghost. They light the wick. The wick, the light speaks of the light of the world. 
The wicks represents God, Jesus' humanity. The Son of Man speaks of us. You know that the temple priests would go in there and they trim the wick and it would burn brighter? That trimming of the wick represents the dying of the flesh. The only thing in that candlestick that was from the earth that's natural was the wick. It speaks of man. Jesus became a man. We're men. We are in the flesh from the dirt. And the high priest would come and trim the wick and it would burn brighter. What does Jesus do? He burns the, he burns the, uh, he cuts the, he trims us. You know, like he trims the vine leaves. When we fast, it's called crucifying the flesh. Why? So Jesus' light can burn brighter. I can go all day, everything in the temple. The angel of the Lord shouts out grace to that mountain. When I put that capstone on, everyone will understand. So I want to encourage you. You know, when we die, he lives. When we die, he lives. Can I say this? I'm trying to get the right word to say this, and I think someone needs to hear this. You'll never put on this earth for yourself. Put here, listen to me, you put here for a reason. We are living in this time and place for a reason. It's not a mistake you're alive today. The world tells you it might be a mistake. Come out of different backgrounds and different situations, but let me tell you, you're not a mistake to God. You're precious in his sight. And if God says to us, don't despise small beginnings, he definitely doesn't despise us. Because God, the Bible says, heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He looks upon heaven and he sees us as a speck of dirt. Yeah, he sent his son to die for that speck of dirt. He didn't despise more beginnings. So I want to encourage you tonight to understand that the work God started, he will complete. And just like these guys in this story, it's not by power nor by might, but by your spirit, says the Lord of hosts, they still had to participate. They still had to show up to work. They still had to get instructions. They had to co-labor. Does that sound familiar, guys? To be co-laborers with Christ? to yield to the Holy Spirit for direction. You know, we are his hands and feet on this earth. He's the head and we're, and we're his body. But what a sad day that will be one day when you realize that you didn't fulfill your calling because you despise small beginnings, that you thought the little things that you were doing weren't enough, that the little victories that you had, you didn't thank God for. The breath that we breathe today, we should be giving thanks for that. Who is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. The word says Elohim, which is a little lower than God. And I believe God had us in his mind, in his image as a family. And no matter what happens, listen, listen, church, listen, brothers and sisters, we walk by faith and not by sight. Do not walk according to the what you see, but walk according to what the Word of God says. Because tomorrow, this government can pull the rug out of under our feet tomorrow, and is, are we going to collapse? We can't trust no man. We trust God. Cursed is the man that trusts in man. But we understand the victories of Calvary. We understand what God's trying to do. And just like these guys in this, and this story of Zechariah, that they lost the temple. They were in lockdown, locked up, and had no rights, no nothing, 80 years in slavery under a demonic system. And God says, let's rebuild this. How much more us when we have the power of the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us, the power of the, the Word of God that flows through us, the power of the anointing of God that flows upon us, the testimony of Jesus that can bring down principalities and powers. And this is where we got to live. We're going to live in a place called done. Does that make sense? We live in a place called done. It's a done deal. We just got to go through the process and so we can have that relationship with the Father. But it's a done deal. Declare to that mountain grace to you and watch the harvest come. See, God will send us what we desire 
because it's his desire. But God wants us to be ready for the harvest. God wants us to be ready because if the sheep come, are we gonna are we gonna edify him or are we gonna destroy him? Are we gonna bring healing or are we gonna bring division? Are we gonna say one thing and do another? Are we gonna talk about faith and be in fear, or are we gonna talk about no fear in faith? We work and we move and breathe and have our being in him. So I want to encourage you as we move forward, as God starts to build us, listen to me. Let's not look left, let's not look right. I'm not concerned about what anyone else is doing. I'm only concerned about what God wants me to do. And in the process, God's taken us on this journey. I'm excited about what's coming, guys. I'm excited. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm, I'm not dreading one thing. Today is the day the Lord has made, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want to encourage you, man. The Holy Ghost is key. Hallelujah. Don't quench him. Don't shut him out. Let him flow. You know what? Can I say this? I had this thing recently. Someone said to me, oh, I've heard what you say, but I've watched what you do. I said, and? <laughs> He goes, it's amazing how you keep walking this walk. He said, oh, he's heard what I say, but he's watched what I do. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. Hallelujah. I only do what I see my father do. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Glory. Don't despise more beginnings. Don't despise the beginning journey the small things in life. Don't despise them. You know, so many people have been taken out of the kingdom. I've seen it so many times. They get taken out because the small things were too small and they didn't rejoice in the victories. The saddest thing for me, the saddest thing for me, 19 years serving the Lord and people that started with me are still in the same spot where they started. Sad. Or have gone back. Or have fallen away because they despise small beginnings. If God said it, God spoke it, God will bring it to pass. Amen? Who's, who here is willing to call God a liar? Nobody. He's not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. All his promises are yes and amen. And what he requires of us is to mature so we can understand what God has really got for us. We can't fathom what God's got ready for us. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We magnify you. We glorify you. And we lift up holy hands for you. Just as a little child would lift up his hands to his father, we lift up our hands. We have the the spirit of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation where we cry out, Abba, Father. And we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. You've got all things in the palm of your hand. No weapon formed against my brothers and sisters shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against us, we condemn. We are the heritage of the Lord. Where the devil seeks to divide and destroy we come together and lift up and bring blessings. What the devil meant for evil, God will turn for good. That we can raise up our voices and blow that trumpet of salvation, blow the trumpet of love and hope. We thank you, Father. I pray for those who are listening to the sound of my voice that are struggling to see what I can see. But, Lord, I'll ask you to lift that veil, open up their eyes so they can see what the spirit of grace has for them. That they may, they may know the hope of their calling. We thank you, Father. We thank you for those who are listening who don't know you yet. Well, it's just simple. Believe in your heart, confess from your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross. He rose again. You shall be saved. Reach out and touch the hem of his garment and be healed. Climb up on that tree like Zacchaeus and see where he's going. 
and he'll see you. God is interested in everything of your life. He's a loving father. He's our father. And that his kingdom come and will be done on this earth. And I pray, Father, from today on, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We're not swayed by circumstances. We don't swayed by the facts. We only swayed by the truth. Truth out trumps facts. The truth of God wipes out the facts. And the fact is that Jesus is Lord. The truth is he'll set us free. Amen.